All right, my friends. Happy Wednesday. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good. Oh, no. Today's Thursday. Happy Thursday. I love Thursdays. We're now closer to the week. You're listening and watching another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together, you and I and my guests and our family and friends, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, OGs, those who have been around, those who are building the coolest apps in our industry, uh, the coolest different things that we can understand, like why we're even here in the first place. We have some really great conversations, go down the rabbit hole, sometimes ideological, theoretical, mathematical. We've had my cannabis doctor on the show with politicians, and we have some of the best conversations. And every single episode, we learn something amazingly new that we can research later. And I've gone down so many Wikipedia rabbit holes after these shows. I spend like an hour after every episode just like doing more research and understanding things more. And actually, a lot of the over, I think two of the companies, two of the guests that we've had on the show. And first of all, Ian, thank you. I want you to join the conversation before I tell the story. Thank you so much for coming on, on Untold Stories today. Yeah, happy to be here. I was just telling you before we started that it, it kind of feels like a, a family reunion, even though I've I've never met you uh, I, or talked to you, I guess, in a, a long time in person. You know, you and I, you, you have been in the crypto space for much longer than I have. But, um, you know, getting to connect with folks who have been uh, around as long or longer than I have is 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 really really great. So I'm I'm super excited to join you today. I agree, and I think um, there's like so much that we can that we can and and will learn from each other. Um, I'm excited to talk about about your company Syndicate. But um, oh, I was telling a story. I forgot what what, what was I talking about. I had this really uh, you good were story talking was... about just the different people and. Uh, things that that you talk about on your show and how you research them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Article. So so to bring that back for a second. So over over, I think um, like about a year ago, I launched a VC fund, an early stage VC fund called Drew Adventures, and two of two of my guests so far, I've when we've hung up the show, uh, I was so blown away that I said, "Are you guys raising?" And one one of the times it was yes, and we actually invested in them. That company's is Passage, this amazing uh, Passage3D.com. It's an amazing game engine and, um, and and a whole ecosystem behind it. But another one, they weren't raising. And I was like, well, you guys should. This is really cool. And now I'm helping them and we're doing. So it's such a great, I, I learn and, and, and I know the listeners learn and we get to kind of like uh, almost invest together, learn together, grow together. Um, but speaking of investment, you, you know, very rarely, I talked about this with my guests yesterday. Very rarely do I get to have guests on the show that are building products and applications for everyone else where their Web3 applications that are really changing the way that we've been doing things forever and, and using our amazing blockchain technology, you've built this application called Syndicate that really is going to change the way assets are managed and shared between different people, relationship mapping. Uh, investing syndicates, that relationship ma mapping aspect, like it really is changing everything there. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on on the company and what you guys do? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and and what you just said about relationship mapping is exactly related to the new product that we um, just launched yesterday. So, um, taking a step back. I got into blockchain and, and crypto. I mean, really, it was Bitcoin only. Um, 
back in 2014. And uh, I, I, I got into it because I was actually at the, the venture capital arm of Citigroup, which is pretty interesting since it was a, you know, it's a global bank. Yeah. Um, it's one of the, the crazy people at the bank looking at, at this technology. And what I saw in it, as many of us, you know, back then saw in Bitcoin and this technology was really an open fintech stack. And immediately, it, well, it took me about three days to read Satoshi's white paper and actually really grok it. But once I did, it immediately clicked that, oh my God, this is way bigger than like the way people are thinking about it. It's not this coin thing that, I mean, yes, it's a coin, but it, it its architecture has profound implications way beyond um, the way people thought about it at that time. And it was it was around that time also that I was, um, you know, also getting deeply embedded in the venture capital um, ecosystem, right? And for the following eight years, I continued both focused on crypto, but also in venture capital. So I spent three years at uh, City Ventures. Then I went to uh, start a new uh, crypto venture capital fund um, uh, with the, a team at IDEO and and ran nice. that for um, another three to four years. And, and I'm still a part of it. And I guess where this all connects is that, you know, being in the, in the investing world, um, as you and, and a number of others uh, have been, you start to see how uh, broken that industry really is uh, on, on many levels. I mean, the most obvious one is actually the tech stack itself, right? Yeah. I mean, the operations and the technologies that are used to run a VC firm or an investment firm are so archaic. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, just running over fiat rails, the accounting systems, the tax systems, the fund administration systems are just, you want to poke your eyes out. Um, I mean, when you run an SPV or you create a new venture fund, you know, for the first one that, that we created in 2017, when I, when I left City Ventures, it took us 18 months to get started, over $200,000 in setup costs and legal fees. And uh, that was before we could even like call ourselves an investor. You know, I think about that and like, who has that amount of money and time to actually just get started, right? And when when you think about the role, and this is like, you know, about six years in, I started realizing that investing literally shapes the future. I mean, it, it does. decides, yeah, it decides where resources, both financial, but also human capital gets allocated and determines who builds what, what gets built and where those things get built and who they get built for. I had this pretty profound realization that investing is, you know, maybe this invisible hand, but but it's it's much more tangible than that, that it it determines how what the world looks like in the future. And the reality is connecting to what I was saying earlier, because the infrastructure is so archaic, it's so expensive, it's so inaccessible, that means only certain people can participate in shaping the future that we all live in. And I don't think that's okay. And and just connecting this a, a little bit more to other things in the world, right? This is way beyond what Syndicate is doing or DAOs or Web3 or crypto. You look at like the systemic inequalities in our society that have existed for hundreds or thousands of years. And I think it relates to capital 
the control and allocation of capital. And it's not to say that like those systems aren't working. I mean, they they absolutely are are completely optimized uh, to max efficiency. But the thing is that you know we need to democratize those capabilities. We need to bring more of the world into those systems. Um, and I think that by doing so, it'll make hopefully society function much better for everyone, uh, not just you know um, the folks who have have been been able to access and and be a part of these systems uh, for for you know for the past number of generations. So I'm really excited about that. Um, since we've launched Syndicate and its first uh, tool, I guess I would say on our infrastructure in late January of this year, so a little over six months ago, we've seen, you know, really amazing things. Um, there's over 20,000 investment clubs now launched on Syndicate as effectively DAOs um, since that time. And, you know, they're all over the world. Um, they're at all, all sizes. We have some that are in the tens of millions of dollars that look very much like traditional venture funds. But we also have ones where they're like, small groups of friends in the you know weirdest and most kind of esoteric pockets of of society and communities that are reinvesting in their communities because they really care about them you know they're able to get started in in a matter of seconds for you know the cost of gas which can be anywhere between 10 to 40 dollars and just get going immediately if they have an idea and something that they want to invest in you know, I think about like yeah it's it's just crazy You've talked about the world of VC investing, right? And that's definitely shaped our industry. You know, you have VC funds, early stage, some funds that only do hundreds of millions of dollars. And and in, in these situations, kind of money is a liability. These funds raise money from sponsor funds or through other sources of, of high net worth capital, pension funds or whatever, or individual people sometimes make up some of it. A lot of times in these VCs, it's it's the LPs are not involved at all in, in the, the general partners. Most people don't actually understand how, how these funds work. And so there, there's a, a, it's a liability and that money has to be invested according to a thesis. And so, like you said there, what's cool about that is that recently, especially with, with, with the token world, you've been able to follow, if you go to like Masari or Masari, I think it's only on pro. I'm not sure, but I think it's actually a Masari. You can follow the portfolio companies. You can read screeners and see charts of all of the portfolio companies that A16Z has invested in, for example, or Pantera, or you know, large, large funds. And I think that's so cool in the in the VC investing world because now, like you said, I can as an angel, I can follow them. Yeah, this is I I believe uniquely um, the result of crypto and Web three technologies, which is it's necessary but not sufficient to democratize the capabilities to invest, it also has to be paired and matched with a democratization and open sourcing of technology, of information, of expertise. And I think because Web3 and crypto is doing that at the most fundamental level, to your point, around the technologies and what's happening, right? The governance forums of these different projects, I mean, you can go onto uh, their things and see what the, the conversation and dialogue is. You can look at the transactions on these systems, right, on the blockchains to monitor in real time, like what's happening. You can look at the code, you know, on GitHub and other places to see, like, how these software systems have been built. And as a result of that, 
right? The democratization of information technology and expertise combined with the tools to and capabilities to invest make this possible. Um, because in the traditional world, to your point, right, even if you, for example, reduce the information asymmetries or the asymmetries in terms of capability, capabilities to invest, if you if you don't have the information, if you don't have the expertise, if you can't build those relationships and you can't get into kind of the black box of these startups or of this the venture ecosystem, which is what Web2 is, you know, it doesn't doesn't change anything. So I think that this is a unique opportunity. Information is power. I mean, every, information is everything. A lot of the times it's the research, it's the analysts. And so what you've done with Syndicate, and I know because my listeners hear me start like half the shows talking about how we really need to build applications and products in the next year or two for the rest of the world and not for our own world or else kind of we're not going to hit that mass adoption that we need to in the first 10 to 15 years. And we, we and so it's, it's exciting to be able to talk to you. And I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But, you know, I was invited to join a syndicate uh, investing club not too long ago, like six months ago. And yeah, not, but not as a VC, that. as an angel investor. And so I really see syndicate and to, to go back to the world of investing in money. If it wasn't for the angels, if it wasn't for the angel investors, almost companies from Google to Coinbase, from my company, BitInstant, wasn't for Roger Veer, if it wasn't for the angel investors in Bitcoin, like some of those folks in the early days, it wouldn't be here today. And a lot of times, angel investing, money is not the liability. Money is your asset. And so you're investing with a lot more passion and thesis. And so you've enabled angel investors to kind of get together. And that like was such a fundamental difference because you really broke angel investing and reshaped it. You can you tell us how? Yeah. And this relates to the, maybe I can introduce the, the new product that we just launched, but yes. exactly, exactly that, which is you know, um, my my view is that investing in venture has been in a multi-decade uh, process of decentralization, even before crypto and stuff, right? Um, you can even look back to things like AngelList, which did a lot in terms of introducing a new wave of angels and solo capitalists into the ecosystem, which has been um, really amazing. But what's what's fascinating with crypto and Web3 is, is a couple different things. One is that that is like 10 to 100xing, right? Yeah. Because of the trends that I mentioned where information, expertise, and the technology are open sourcing. So it enables you know, new forms of uh, participation and, and new populations of people that can now, quote, angel invest in these projects anywhere around the world. That's one. Number two, though, is that as a result of actually the success of you know, this, this angel category, you're now starting to see, even in the traditional world, angels starting to band together effectively and forming these like uh, collectives uh, where they come together and they co-invest together to find deals, uh, provide uh, the combination of their expertise to, to companies and founders to help them in ways that an individual uh, angel may not be able to do. And that is an inevitable trend that's actually going to only get bigger. So when you introduce, for example, Web3, and you introduce DAOs, and you introduce technologies like Syndicate, it takes that to the logical extreme. And so to your point, right, um, one of the big trends that we saw 
after launching investment clubs in January was that angel investing circles, you know, who people like yourself, but more importantly, actually the social networks and the, the friend groups really that you are a part of that you have personal human relationships with are actually the ones that in many cases are forming these investment clubs and, and investing together. And there's, there's a couple of profound, I think, insights from, from it. Um, one is that um, those groups are actually communities and they're actually social networks um, of like real close personal relationships and friendships. That's number one. And the second one is that when they're investing, it's actually not primarily about the money. It's primarily about the support that they're providing to the founders that they're taking a bet on. Like you said earlier, when you know Roger took a bet on you and and things like that, right? So what does that mean? Well, what we're talking about here is a commitment um, and invest in an investment of people's social capital, of their time, of their expertise, and that is actually like what's going on here. It's not about the financialization of these relationships or the investments that they're making. So. So that's where our new product comes in, um, or actually, uh, more specifically, it's it's a primitive for Web three. Um, so we launched yesterday this new primitive called Collectives, and what Collectives uh, is is it enables anyone, any person, any community, any organization, any group of friends to create a social network on chain. And why, why does this matter? So it's created actually as a ERC-721M, which is a new standard that our team has built. Um, it builds on the uh, primary standard for NFTs, ERC-721, but it takes that to the next level by making uh, that contract evolvable, meaning like it can upgrade and change over time with a social network or a community. Uh, so you can like introduce roles, identities, experience, wow. badges, um, things like that. And the second thing is it actually uh, transforms ERC-721 into a developer platform. So you can actually swap components and plugins uh, that change how that social network operates and evolves and grows over time with different components uh, from Syndicate, but also a developer ecosystem that um, we're starting Holy to build shit. around this thing. Now, what's crazy about this, okay, I just went kind of deep here. Thing. It's really cool, yeah. It, and we have a bunch of communities and networks that are already using this today and have been for actually a couple months. But But coming back up a level, what does this mean? Well, this means you can now, coming all the way back to what we were talking about, you were saying earlier about how these things are relationships and relationship mapping. We can take those things that are tacit in today's world and start to turn them into smart contracts on the internet. And you can take these social networks, encode them into these smart contracts via collectives and ERC 721M. And then what? Well, what you can start to do is share deals with each other, share expertise with each other and with startups. You can start to connect with, you know, other networks that are on Syndicate and on these collectives and start to remap, actually, the social networks of investing and connect those with the investing tools 
like the investment clubs that we launched earlier this year. And that's just the beginning. We're going to start introducing and layering more and more capabilities onto these uh, on-chain social networks that start to do things that start to sound like science fiction. So we're super excited about uh, this thing. We talk about like uh, crypto being the largest socioeconomic experiment the world has ever seen. This is what we're talking about. It started with Bitcoin, but it continues and evolves over time. And what really is exciting with 721M is that we've been talking about the future of NFTs for so long being not these like one-off things that you mint and sell, but almost like a movable, if you take a, if you take Facebook and you take a hammer to it and you break it up into a million pieces and everyone gets to hold and maintain their piece of it, that's what the NFT should be. It's a, it's a, it's a movable website for web three or what we see is like, we used to go to the website and you'd see it. And then, you know, the website just sits there all the time and is updated. Whereas in the future, you're going to have the website in your wallet. And a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? And we'll explain. But this is the next evolution of that. 721M can allows the NFT to not just be rewritable, but to add different layers of like characteristics and attribution. And I think that's like so freaking cool. Yeah, I mean... You know, we, we the crypto industry right now is 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 a bit sort of uninspired at the moment. You know, every bear market does this. You've you and I have seen this. You know, uh, multiple yes, times. I feel this too. I was just talking to my friend this morning about this, who founded the first Bitcoin exchange ever, and he's like, "Charlie, man, I don't know how you're not so jaded right now." <laughs> it's it's just you know it comes comes with the territory, but you know. Um, Syndicate actually started in 2018 when my co-founder and I started researching decentralized social networks, which we, we weren't thinking about um, Syndicate at the time. And, and so this that research actually very much informed uh, collectives in 721M. M stands, by the way, for modular. Um, so it, it makes 721 it makes modular, modular. And, and turns that into a developer and community building platform. But um, to your point, um, you know, why we think 721M and collectors are so interesting is, is one, um, it's designed for kind of investing in mind, right? This kind of verticalized application of an NFT. But the, the, the more important thing is that to your point for, for a number of years, I mean, even since the beginning of NFTs and, and 721 in 2017, people have been thinking about 721 as primarily these assets, right? Like non-fungible assets. But I think what we're saying is that NFTs and 721 is doesn't only have to be thought of that way. They can actually be thought of as networks and specifically social networks. So if you look, you know, same underlying contract with a bunch of modifications, but it, it makes you look at these things differently. It's not about the individual kind of like artwork or 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 even like you know, asset within the 721 contract, but it's more taking a step back and saying, hey, no, like this 721 contract in of itself is actually the thing. It's it's actually a social network. And what could we do with that when we look at it as a network instead of, you know, a collection of non-fungible assets? We think that that is one of the, the ways in which, uh, to your point, NFT starts to um, have new applications, and we're we're excited uh, to introduce you know one of them. 
Guys, hot off the press, we've just negotiated with our epic new sponsor, Bing X, over $155 in free new user rewards for each of you. Just check them out and click the link below and I'll explain to you who these guys are and why they're offering such an, an amazing award to our Untold Stories listeners. Bing X is a really cool crypto social trading exchange. They offer the usual like futures, spot, derivatives, all the good stuff that you guys like to do, all the cryptos and all the different coins that you want to buy. But they also offer a really cool copy trading service and then you can see all their traders over the past few years, how they've performed and you can simply copy their trading. They have over 3 million users, regulatory licenses in the can in Canada, USA, over in Europe, for, through Lithuania, Australia. They got one of the best ratings by 30K. So you know they're legitimate and they're gonna be uh, helping us out and offering you guys this amazing deal. Listen, if you click the link below, uh, there's a new user reward and an extra on top special link bonus. You're gonna get $155 in USDT. The link has everything in there and they're even capping your losses up to $10 if you go in there and try to play around with the copy trading. BingX.com, thank you guys so much for sponsoring us. I'm excited to send some more videos and update you guys on their platform. It really looks nice, it's comfortable to use, you feel safe and secure. You get $150, $155 for free, so why not? Go check it out, BingX, thank you guys. There's a cool rabbit hole that I sometimes go down, but you kind of brought it up in my head about how there's, it's almost human nature to like want to do business with someone, you know, there's the old sayings, don't do business with family, you know, don't do business with your friends. Don't shit where you eat there. We can go on and on. And in my life, uh, when I was young, a young CEO at that instant, this was one of my biggest problems is that I became friends with all the people till, till today, actually, there's some of my closest friends, but I became friends with my employees. And now later on, I learned that you need to have organizational structure and things like that. But a lot of relationships are ruined that way. How many friends have we all had for years and years that the relationships and the friendships ended over $1,000 or over something so stupid? You're almost enabling relationship mapping in, in a place where there was this huge gap. And, and that gap is like where I have friends that I, I love them as friends and I burningly want to do business with them and want to work with them and do stuff together. But I know that for the sake of the friendship, I should not. But now you've given me another option because now we can join these collectives for a little bit amount of money or I'll put what we're comfortable doing, but then share our expertise and maybe invest together or, or do a charitable cause together or start a business together where it's not affecting our other day-to-day -day stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we have collectives to your point that extend beyond investing, you know, people uh, creating collectives for nonprofit causes, um, uh, ones that are actually forming these like almost like expertise guilds, right? Oh, interesting. People that are security experts in DeFi or people who are uh, really expert in a particular like esoteric domain. They're start like design or engineering or um, marketing or something, right? They're forming these collectives to, uh, cent you know, not centralize, that's, that's the wrong word, but, but bring together uh, that expertise and then offer that and make that discoverable to other people, founders, communities that might, might find that interesting. I think, I think the other thing that we think is super interesting about this, right, is that like 
you know, obviously folks like yourself and and others that you know are are very well known in terms of like what they offer and what their expertise is and things like that. Sure. But you know, who's the next? Who's the next Charlie Shrem? Who's the next? You know, person X Y Z who has a lot to offer to the world to different things, but is not discoverable. That expertise is not discoverable. So if you think about right relationship mappings being put in some cases on chain via collectives in 721M, being able to discover across networks, like, and even being able to see potentially some of that activity on chain by uh, evolving the 721M with identity, reputation, or history, um, and then being able to connect these things. Like what we think and we hope is going to happen is that this democratizes in many ways the expertise um, and, and even relationship element of of the world and then through that process really transforms and, and opens up investing because it, as again as i mentioned like yeah. earlier it's necessary but not sufficient to only democratize the tools to invest you also need to pair that with democratizing expertise information relationships etc and we we do believe collectives and 721m are a key foundational element for how this is going to uh, happen at scale like, what does the future wallet look like? And so if you have your your syndicate NFT, which is your identity and your ability to participate and the value there and everything. And then like we had my last guest with a meta intro is building like uh, a reputational wallet. And then you have all your crypto funds are somewhere, your Bitcoin, or your Ethereum and everything else. Are we going to be using like MetaMasks in the future? Like what, or does the wallet as we know it, you think that'll change? Have you given thought to this? Well, we, we what we do know is that uh, existing wallet um, like design and and infrastructure is is not sufficient um, because yeah. you know what what we see even within our own narrow corner of the world is that people are a part of multiple investment clubs that are they're 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 already a part of or will be a part of multiple collectives um, and that will only you know, start to get more and more complicated as, for example, these things now go across different chains, um, yep. like from Ethereum to different L2s and different L1s, uh, let alone like other systems, right? So so we think that that's going to need to be upgraded, um, whether that's with an existing kind of wallet that starts to be able to like map across different chains and different sort of applications and and tools like I don't really know, but I definitely um, we we do get definitely get a lot of uh, requests from our users saying, "Hey, how am I supposed to track things when I'm on yeah. investing across multiple chains and multiple applications and stuff?" And we don't have a great uh, answer to that currently. So something's got to something's got to improve. I don't think anyone has a great answer for what that world will look like. And I could ask you uh, what you think about like a multi-coin, multi-future, multi-chain world will look like if if one will. And then if you want to even, uh, which is kind of, I guess, my thing nowadays, people tell me I do is I love bundling questions together. But I guess I'll bundle that question with what do you think about the ETH merge coming up? You know, the big hard fork, the big move over from proof of work, proof of stake. And will that affect what people build on top of other chains, you think people will come back to Ethereum in a big way? Other chains will become obsolete. I mean, 
There's, oh, I mean, man. there's so many answers. That, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, I love how, I love how you, you go for the most profound questions uh, all at once. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, especially as like a designer with idea, like the, just the wallet thing, like the user experience is broken. And as crypto scales and gets bigger, like it's only going to get more and more broken um, and horrible from a user experience perspective. So something must change um, where it starts to make most importantly, things easier for the user. Um, so yeah. what that looks like, I'm not entirely sure, but I just know that that's, that will be a massive opportunity. As far as the ETH merge is concerned, um, you know, it's been interesting, right? Because like this move to proof of stake has been discussed in the ecosystem for, for ages, uh, debated for ages. So I think for folks like myself and you and others, like we're kind of, um, you know, we've been expecting this for a long time. I think it's probably inevitable and the right move. I mean, that like, like, uh, from a first principles perspective, I think what's most interesting though, about this move is the more recent sort of, uh, concerns related to, um, how, uh, validation is, is, you know, very concentrated or would be very concentrated, uh, if, and when ETH moves to proof of stake um, by centralized regulated financial entities and potentially how OFAC uh, might be able to force those validators to censor transactions at you know, the, the, the validation yeah, that's the level. that's the problem. Right. And so if that were to happen um, and proof of stake uh, Ethereum POS turns into like an OFAC compliant blockchain like i i think that um is is pretty concerning right and would uh likely change kind of where a lot of the innovation that relies on kind of openness and and the lack of censorship at the validation level uh to go elsewhere or you know re refactor right i mean i coming from the tr traditional financial world like a completely regulatory ofac compliant blockchain is probably a thing you know, like some DeFi applications and some mainstream I've consumer in applications. One, actually. It's What's a great, that? it's a great idea, but it shouldn't it, be the whole thing. Yeah, and it can't be right because, uh, you know, then we start basically disenfranchising um, people. That's why yeah, we got here we in the start, first place. We start kind of co-opting this technology that is is more like a rearchitecture of the internet. We start co-opting it for the existing world, and I I don't think I mean it's a thing for sure. Like maybe. A lot of money will flow through that, but uh, it will start looking like an enterprise blockchain. And I, I don't think that that is um, or should be the end state for this ecosystem, right? So, so I think the ecosystem will do whatever it, 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 it will do whatever it needs to do to uh, continue. And as we've seen many times before, so whether that means like you'll start to see regulatory compliant applications on an OFAC blockchain, and then all the permissionless like innovative stuff on on something else i don't know um i'm, I'm actually kind of hoping that um uh that that this this what seems like a big crisis will actually just lead to uh new solutions um but still with the main chain so whether that's like for example delegation of staking where uh you can actually start to decentralize that even through proof of stake uh, sharding or you know other privacy privacy related technologies that can be introduced at the um you know at the l1 layer like 
I'm kind of hoping that, you know, we'll, we'll be able to, the, the community will be able to solve this. There'll and, always and, be an economic incentive to keep your funds in a place where your stake, your stake vote is in the hands of someone else in a centralized thing. You could argue that if like everyone's keeping their money at Coinbase and then Coinbase has to be OFAC compliant, which I'm not saying being OFAC compliant is a bad thing. We're talking about the theoretical disenfranchisement. If we're not going to have an open chain, then why are we here in the first place? That's kind yeah. of my, my theory. But the idea is that people will move off those places and rebalance and there'll be a rebalance of power. And I could see that because you have seen that with Bitcoin a few times in the past when certain mining pools get too much control. But there's a fundamental difference. And I think, dude, I'm so, it, it makes me so angry sometimes when there's so many people who still fundamentally don't understand how blockchains work and how Bitcoin works and how Ethereum works and things like that. In fact, it makes me want to do like a whole series on just the white paper on this show. But Bitcoin miners don't validate transactions. And there's a big difference there when you when you have something where you move to proof of stake. You're taking two separate roles and you're combining it into one and you're merging the economic incentive for that. And I think that's where the scariest thing is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I... Um, I think that this was, whether we like it or not, always inevitable. You know, this this um, this challenge that that you know the, the, this this combination of technical, economic, and really compliance or legal um, complexity, like the merging of all of them in some ways, like it was always inevitable. So, in my like kind of optimist view. Um, because it was always inevitable, we were always going to have to face this challenge and we're just going to have to figure it out. We're just going to have to work our way through it, whatever it means. So, um, you know, there was no delaying it or, I mean, well, not delaying it. There was no avoiding it. Uh, so, you know, we'll just have to, we'll just have to keep going, you know, as we always do. Um, might be a little bit bumpy, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm optimistic that we'll figure things out. Well, how somehow. have you on that note? Actually, I wanted to ask you earlier, but how have you, how have investing clubs and how have you figured out like the off-chain investing part? So, say, you know, we have a million-dollar investing club and we want to invest in some films that are off-chain, right? So, film financing is the craziest thing because you have all these waterfalls and different people get paid out when specific monies come in. It's the craziest thing. It took me a year, a year of studying films and their budgets and living on multiple sets to understand film financing and accounting. And I still don't, didn't even understand a drop of the bucket of that. So how do you, how do you merge the two worlds together? Yeah. I mean, we, we take a very practical approach, which is to say like, you know, um, it's unrealistic in our opinion to expect that all of that will move on chain um, and and that we uh, syndicate will be able to, you know, accelerate that, yeah. uh, whether it's in the film industry or music industry or even venture industry. So uh, the our approach to that is like we're we're building Web three native crypto native tools uh, such that when things start to move on chain, it it you know makes it really easy. But we're sort of starting from the assumption that a lot of this stuff will remain off chain. And so what we oh, want to do is just give people the options um, uh, to be able to do that. So for example, you can create an investment club on syndicate completely on chain, right? 
invest in assets completely on chain. But what you also could do is you can connect it to, if you want, a real world bank account um, to be able to exchange crypto to fiat from the club to the club's bank account and then use fiat if you want. And then the other thing is we've added a a functionality within our clubs where you can record off-chain investments um, into things. So if you invest in a film or you invest in a startup or something like that, you can actually add into the investment club, aka the DAO on Syndicate, um, a, a record that says, hey, we invested in this startup at this valuation. You know, here's some notes, here's a link to the pitch deck, et cetera. And you know, it's not gonna completely sync with the blockchain, right? Because it's off-chain, but at least people can see it and um, you know, you know, it can it can um support kind of those applications because i mean for for a while you know until the entire world moves on change which you know in some cases maybe it won't um this technology can still be usable um if you if you take like practical kind of simple solutions like that or simple assumptions like that yeah i agree completely i feel like we if you can start to build what you're talking about is like a bridge essentially like you're making you're doing the best you can in a world where you realize that some things won't be on chain yet but then if people start getting used to like eventually getting it on chain, then they'll be like, why am I doing redundant work, paperwork in the background? It's like, remember the days with the credit card that would have to be by paper and like, you know, and then uh, like when you'd want to do a credit card, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a computer. It would be like, and sometimes you go to a place in a, in a foreign country and they still use those old, you know, credit card swiping things, but then the store would have to then take all those papers and mail it somewhere. And there'd be someone doing the data entry of all the credit card numbers and the transactions. And so they probably realized that there was all this redundancy of, you know, you could say off-chain, on-chain of back then. And so the same thing will probably happen in, in the crypto world. And so if I were to ask you, like, do you think, uh, do you think that any process that could be made more efficient, do you think in the future we'll be seeing those processes have to touch a blockchain in some way? Ooh, great question. Um... So putting on my my you know combined kind of web three native, but also my enterprise you know hat from my Citigroup days, like I, I always thought that blockchains were going to look more like a mosaic than they would like a monolith. Um, meaning like not everything is going to go completely on chain in in the public. I mean you know um, I think the world of enterprise and private, if you want to call it, like what even is that? Is that just yeah. a database? But but the the point is like permissioned blockchains and things like that. I I as much as I disagree with kind of like uh, the potential of them, I think they are there are applications of those things that uh, will continue to exist. I think so. So I think it's going to be a mix, and they're and ideally they're all going to be interoperable and they're all going to be yeah. connected, which I think is is the biggest uh, one of the bigger things. And then the second bigger thing is that I I do think that um, and I believe, which is why I've bet my career and, and decided to focus primarily on it is that public blockchains will um, end up becoming way more powerful and important than all these private ones um, in time. Uh, and so we're still in that transition. I think it's, you know, the reverse is true where private systems are, you know, bigger and um, have a lot more weight than the public ones. But I think we're, you know, in this transitional period. I don't know how long it'll be, yeah. whether it's decades or a century, but in time, public chains will 
be the main thing. Um, and then the private ones will kind of be more on the edges. Uh, Application-specific type thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, the, you know, is fine, but that's not the point of what we're doing here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for saying that. Um, I was going to, I was just kind of leave off with asking you if it does it cost any money for anyone to create a collective or a club um, and, and how does syndicate as a, as, as a business make money? Are you guys like full DAO, like Shapeshift or are you a, a private <laughs> company? Yeah. So we're, we're a developer of these technologies. Um, so, you know, uh, syndicate itself has a, you know, traditional kind of pretty vanilla, I guess, like company structure, but as far as the technologies <laughs> themselves, uh, yeah, I mean, look, we, you know, operate in the real world and it's just one of the practicalities, but yeah, as far as the technologies themselves, I mean, we, we're an open source developer. So we're building these technologies, the contracts and stuff that have been launched both for clubs, which is actually not just an investment club protocol. It's actually an investing protocol. So you can, you can actually build a whole wide range of different applications beyond investment clubs like SPVs and funds and hedge funds and rolling funds and all this other stuff on top of it. Uh, and then the collectives protocol 721M that's also decentralized. So they're, so we don't like control them really. They're just out there. Um, and as far as investment clubs are concerned, but also collectives, um, there are no fees with those things, um, in the protocol or otherwise. So just the cost of gas to, you know, interact with the smart contract on, on the blockchain, on Ethereum, Very cool. um, for a club, you know, I don't know, it depends on the network congestion, but like it can be as low as like $8, uh, on, on Ethereum mainnet on Polygon. It's literally like a cent or sometimes 0.6 cents. So like, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, growth there because it's just so affordable for anyone to be able to create one. Um, and yeah, we don't, we don't make money on, on them. We don't charge, you know, on the creation or like, you know, post, uh, the assets under management. We really fundamentally believe that, you know, to live up to our promise, like to democratize these capabilities and, and enable communities to invest in themselves and in each other, like these tools should be free. Um, so our, like, if you want to call it, um, thesis around a, an economy, I wouldn't even call it like an economic model is something, um, above the protocol layer. Um, we don't know what it is. We're not really overly focused on it right now, but, um, it's more, it's something else. It's, it's not kind of charging for these technologies and infrastructure that we we view as commoditized and should be commoditized Very interesting yeah i really like that that model i just my biggest fear is we've still not solved the bridges or the interoperability question yet mm -hmm. yeah we see that ourselves i mean you know people are asking us to be able to um create investment clubs that can invest cross-chain seamlessly you know whether it's in L1 and L2 or even Bitcoin. And like, there, yeah. it's like really difficult, right? Like that's, that's be way beyond syndicates, uh, existing capabilities. So yeah, like the ecosystem needs to a lot, there's a lot of opportunity there. And, and obviously like these bridges, whether interface level, like wallets or technical, like, you know, bridges from one chain to another. I mean, it's, it's super tough, difficult, right? You have all these hacks and people losing, you know, lots of, lots of capital and it's, it's, it's oh, challenging. Yeah. 
Ian Lee, thank you so much for coming on on Untold Stories today. Um, we'll have all the details in the show notes of like how people can follow you. It's syndicate.io. It's so easy to use. If you've not done much and dabbled in, in crypto before, if you've just bought like a coin or token and you're looking for like, hey, I want to like do something else really cool in crypto, but like not just buy or sell a token, go to Syndicate, read the documents. It's very easy. Understand create one, have some friends, even if it's like you all putting in $20 and then using it to like, I don't know, make a purchase like family dinner once a week, you know, like a grocery collective or something like that. Imagine the ability of, of doing like a family dinner with friends and family, and then everyone contribute a financial amount, but not have to, everyone have to ask everyone all the time. And then you're ruining family relationships because of it. Thank you for doing this. And thanks for, for taking the time. Thank you, Charlie.